This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, Happy New Year and welcome to today's podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest, Kay B. Simone. She's a licensed counseled social worker. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic, uh, emotional trauma. It's a really fascinating topic for my own uh, sake. And um, she is actually dubs herself as the mental health engineer. So um, I love when they guests can talk about themselves and then we're going to talk all about emotional trauma, healing, and it's going to be a really fascinating conversation. So, Kay, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's such a great opportunity to get uh, the time to talk, discuss, learn, and, and you know, teach and learn from each other. So, as you said, um, I am a clinical psychotherapist, and my specialties are the treatment of complex trauma uh, and the achievers of high um achieving people. So people that work in very high pressure environments, like people that work in medicine, law, tech, and finance primarily. I also work a lot with um, top-notch universities uh, in educational settings in order to support not only the students, but also the families, since the stressors of high achievers, people that are pursuing really big lives are very, very different um, from people that are more, um, you know, following the same road as others. So thank you for having me. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I'm I'm I've recently I finished the Body Keeps the Score uh, last year, and then uh, which was really interesting. And then there's a new book called with Dr. Nicole LaPera, How to Do the Work, and it's really this holistic theory of trauma and holistic healing and how it integrates with our nervous system and and gut health and all these. Um, uh, what I really is am very interested in is this um, talk about um, you know trauma from uh, just uh, marginalized communities, uh, BIPOC, you know, I'm part of that community as well, you know, I've ex experienced racism and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of talk about um, healing and trauma from that standpoint. Fantastic. So in the work that I do, um, one of the wonderful things is to see nowadays with the generation, the generation now, that there is this very big interest on getting resources and speaking about things and not keeping everything inside our house like we were told. We don't we don't talk about our stuff outside. Everything we keep it inside. If there is an issue, we just continue to work harder and look down and hope for the aggressor or the perpetrator to like lose interest in us and go find another victim. Right. So a lot of us were raised on that mentality in our households. So to see the shift from this is something we have to address. This is something that we can heal from, even if it happened in the past. And this is something that we can resource for towards the future, right? Life changes, many different things happen. We all have our ups and downs and we can do the healing for the things that happened in the past, but also at the same time, resource ourselves for the future so that we can upgrade the skills that we need to have lives that are 
more protected from trauma in that you have that bounce back when things are happening so that you can position yourself for the resources, ask for help, and also hold people accountable. Uh, in particular, for um, people of diverse backgrounds, this is a, a double-edged sword, right? We are trying to learn the new ways of this country because many of our parents were not born or raised here. Um, so we are like the ambassadors. We have to, you know, portray the family in a particular light. We have to achieve all these things very much in a in a very aligned way. There are certain expectations, certain careers that are the careers that are accepted. So we are trying to figure out what comes next, while we also carry in the burden of our families of origin, the things that happen to them in their countries of origin, right? Many of us, I am of Dominican descent. Um, in the Dominican Republic experienced um, a dictator, one of the worst dictators that they've had in the world. And he ruled the country with an iron fist for 30 plus years, right? So a, a country that is raised by a dictator is usually very compliant, very by the line, very traumatized. I've seen a lot of different things, keeps a lot of things inside. And we are carrying that from our parents, but we're also the new realities of living in this country and trying to find our way without having to betray the things that we want, our culture and the desires of our heart. Mm, well, very beautifully said. Um, um, and then the other question is, so one thing I've, uh, you know, I kind of played around with this ACES score and, you know, I, I scored like a four. But one thing that was really interesting is this ASIC score, they say it's, um, correlated with either like drug addiction, suicide, you know, going to jail. But then a lot of like my classmates, my colleagues, they came from, you know, BIPOC, marginalized communities, you know, immigrants and um, experienced racism, you know, from the whites. And, you know, they actually mm -hmm. have, they're actually extremely successful. So I'm seeing this dichotomy. It's like one person you see like super successful, super perfect, you know, the beautiful house, the, you know, beautiful uh, spouse and, you know, fancy cars, everything. And then you have people that, uh, you know, just homeless. So what, what explain this dichotomy based on this score. So every, everything is very based on individual person and what their experience is. So if we describe trauma as an event, situation, or interaction that overwhelms your nervous system, so it overwhelms your nervous system to a degree that affects your level of functioning. And your level of functioning can go from being able to sleep, being able to eat, being able to focus in school, being able to regulate your emotions, control your, your sense of safety. It could be a number of things. But even when it has to do with a traumatic event or instance, is very, very connected to what was your perception of the event, right? When I was getting trained, um, I am certified in EMDR, which is eye movement, the sensitization and reprocessing, which is one of the golden standards for the treatment of trauma. Uh, our trainer, uh, she was actually trained by Shapiro, right, from the original cohort of people that trained by EMDR, which is outstanding. And she explained to us that, let's say there is a bunch of children that are in a school bus. And an accident happens and the bus falls down a cliff, which was a natural real story that she was sharing with us. And the bus fell on top of like this rock, so it didn't go into the river. So the kids were physically safe, most of them, but they had to rescue me and all that stuff. When they did the screening in the children, only roughly 20% of the children that were inside the bus stayed and remain traumatized by the event, which they develop PTSD symptoms, and all this regulation, crying, nightmares, all of that. Only 20% of the amount of the children, but it had to do with several things. One of the things was, what did you see as the boss was falling? 
It depends where you were sitting, who was next to you, who did you feel responsible for inside the bus, right? Also, did you see blood? Did you see other people getting hurt, the screams? What did you smell? All of those things get embedded into your, into your physical body and your memory. But it also had to do with uh, what you just mentioned, your ACEs score. So people that have a higher ACEs score, which I'll explain in a second, have a higher propensity of developing PTSD and severe chronic mental illness. Almost like if you think about it like, you know, you're a runner. I'm not a runner. I cannot run from here to my mailbox. But those of you that are athletic and like to run, let's say that you sprain your ankle, right? So you're running, 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 you sprain your ankle. So you do a little rehab, a little PT, and then you go back to running a few weeks later. After you have this injury, there is a possibility of you getting injured faster or a, or a higher rate that somebody that doesn't have that initial injury. So when we look at the ACEs score, which uh, anybody can go and Google it, ACEs is A-C-E-S, and you can Google it and print it, and you can get kind of a view about how certain things that happened in your past could affect your nervous system and your number in the ACEs score is very important when it has to do with not only developing resiliency against those things, but also in looking into challenging things from the perspective of something else has happened to me before, so I have to be more mindful. I have to potentially find support faster. I should work on those skills now and listen to podcasts, buy this book, listen to this audiobook, so I continue strengthening myself towards the future. When it has to do with ACEs, it looks at things like physical violence, sexual violence, uh, seeing other people around us that were in danger, like our mothers, if they were hit, if they were screamed, um, being put down, things that have to do with self-esteem. So it's a list, it's an abbreviated list, but it gives you a good perspective. When you say, for example, there are certain people that within the same circumstances have built very different lives when it has to do with the financial aspect or potentially with uh, their way that they see the world and how they manage the, the stressors, the aggressions. Uh, we don't see microaggressions anymore. All the aggressions are done to us based on our sex, our color, our income. They're not microaggressions. They are aggressions. Our, our nervous systems reads them as aggression. It doesn't go like, oh, that's a microaggression. You know, it hurts you in different levels, but it still hurts you. So it has to do with several things. We said only 20% of the people develop PTSD in, in these high chronic conditions after an event, right? Other people, their brain chemistry, their temperament allows them to live the event, survive the event, and release the event as part of a memory of something that happened before. Certain people, because of their presentation and temperament and maybe their ACEs score, continue to relive this event over and over again in a small and big ways as they go throughout their day. Many people have pursued in spite of all their odds. You know, we always have um, that wonderful story about this person that pulled themselves by the bootstraps and lives the American dream. But it's like they're asking most of us to pull ourselves by the bootstraps without taking into consideration that most of us are wearing flip-flops or we're barefoot. There, there's no straps to, to pull, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in spite of building really, really wonderful lives, many of the people that pursue these high-income careers have had to sacrifice their culture, their personality. They've had to mask themselves. They've had to perform. They have to leave three-quarters or more of their history and who they are. Mm. in order to transition to the spaces. You can go to Brown, you can go to Dartmouth, you can work in any of the tech companies that I work with their employees and your co-workers don't know you. 
You're ashamed of your narrative. You're ashamed of where you came from. Sometimes you have to handle things that most of the people with you don't have to handle. If you get a job, maybe there's an expectation by your family that you have to move in with them because now you have to help pay rent, right? Mm -hmm. There's an expectation, oh, your uncle, you know, back in wherever, in Jamaica, in China, wherever our families are, oh, there was an accident and he broke his leg and now you need to send $300 to help deal with that situation. So these are a lot of stories that go at the same time that we don't share with others. So we build these lives that we love and that we work so hard for, right? I always say that I already did the three most dangerous things that I could have done in my whole life. I did it at the beginning. I was born brown, I was born female, and I was born poor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mm. So all of the very dangerous things, I already did them. So my life has been built around striving towards success because success as we call it creates safety mm -hmm. creates protection if you have success oh you have medical insurance mm -hmm. if you have success now you have a salary you pay for your rent your kids can go to better schools you live in the you know white picket fence well you have a better chance around the white picket fence of safeguarding your assets your family and having more peace so Many in the and this happens also in siblings, right? Sometimes people have two, three, five kids, whatever kid, and there's one kid that comes out very academically gifted, mm -hmm. right? In this kid, same school, public school, overcrowded, dangerous, no tutoring, all of the things like ta 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 ends up in Berkeley. Boom, he went to Dartmouth, and then there was other three siblings. It's like, oh, your brother did it, your sister did it. Why can't you do it? Mm -hmm. Because there is not an understanding that we are all individuals. We all have different levels of skills. And when I say I work with high achievers, I work also with high potential individuals. And the only difference between high achievers and high potential is that the high potential never got the help, never got the break, never found a teacher that became interested, never picked up the, you know, the pamphlet from the YMCA about the teen council. In one connection, in one organization, in one person supporting you could have made all the difference. They haven't found what is the thing that they're good at. Maybe you're not really good at math, but maybe you could have been a fantastic therapist or a fantastic writer or a fantastic plumber. But because we were so stuck on certain things, we sometimes don't find the gifts that are there and the talents that we have inside of us. Mm, yeah, so well said. And it's like I've always, you know, wondered because, you know, I've talked to, you know, one lady, she was a... You know, Centi millionaire and she's her her mo was because her husband left her and she never ever wanted to feel that sense of loss of control so she tried to compensate for it by you know being extremely wealthy and then you know have another um you know family friend you know she parents friend came from cambodia they had a donut shop and then she goes to stanford and she there's this tension because they just she's got to break free to to be able mm -hmm. to to blossom because you know just their their way of thinking and doing things isn't gonna cut it for her anymore so there is a lot of guilt 
Yeah. Right. There is a lot of guilt about the people that we leave behind, behind when you change to a different school, a different neighborhood, when potentially you go to a school and, and all of your friends are going to stay in state or they have to go to city college or they have to go to community college. And then when you come back, that space of you don't belong. Oh, no, you went to the school and now you talk white. Oh, you went to school and now you wear Sperry's. Like, I didn't know what Sperry's were. I had to Google it. It's like, oh, my kids come back from this prep school and they want Sperry's. And I'm just like, what are Sperry's? <laughs> you have to Google it, right? And that social capital and that understanding, being in places of, of, of great privilege, like primarily white institutions, uh-huh. there are many instances where you feel other. There are many instances where even the people in those schools We'll make sure your professors too. Let's not leave the professors that give the bad advice and tell you, oh, you should drop out. Engineering maybe it's not for you. Or like, are you sure you don't want to be a nurse? And you're out there, you know, hustling, trying to become a doctor, right? So when you are in that space, when you come home, you don't belong home either. You get used to having your own dorm, having meals that are warm, having friends. You go to Chipotle sometimes when you're feeling fancy, right? (laughs) Now you're home. And you have this whole experience of not being that person, but also not being able to mesh when you take a, a minute to get married. In many of our cultures, a lot of people get married 22, 23, 24. And there you are, 14, 15 years in medical school. And everybody's like, oh, my God, Christopher, andale, andale. like, what are we waiting for? Right? And you're like, I went for this residency. This fellowship is coming. So even creating a narrative for ourselves that explains to, to our people but it's not that we have changed. It's not that we have left. It's that we're pursuing other things because those are the things that we came here to begin with. Yeah. We didn't come here to struggle forever and be sad. We would have stayed home. I have 90 degree weather. There is merengue. Like we came here in order to bring our gifts and share our talents and find the things that we're good at so that we can create value for ourselves, our family and society. But it is, it is something that is very specific to us. Also the fact that when you're the person of color, very, very uh, often my clients, and like I said, they work in finance, tech, medicine, and law, especially in finance and tech, as soon as you go into one of these environments and you're a person of color, they want to draft you. It's like NFL draft number one and two. Come and do this DEI work and mentor this one and the other. And that is lovely. And we feel this responsibility to help because somebody helped us, right? But what happens is that now they're sending you to this panel, to this other panel into that school to go talk to these kids and then now you have to mentor these three people that came you're doing all this dei work during black month and hispanic month and in filipino month all of the months when your deliverables come when you have to deliver for your promotion where was k k was outside doing talks and helping people and touching babies so when k comes for her promotion her boss says, no, you're wonderful. And you're like, you're like the glue of the department, wah, wah, wah. But you have to stay in level four because your deliverables, what you were paid to do, took a side seat to this thing that you're trying to do for everybody to appease yourself with, with, with a system. Yeah. So one of the things that I work really uh, strongly with with my clients is one, creating a narrative for yourself, the things you want the dream that you have, that was whispered to you specifically. You could have been in a room full of people, your 14 cousins, your five aunts, your mom, your dad was there. And if you're a spiritual, I'm a spiritual, I'm a God's girl. God whispered that dream to me. Nobody else in that room heard it. 
they're one in the family or two they have this drive and they want this thing and they want the other and they are fast and they want to connect and they try to be likable and they learn skills that are way beyond their years that was a whisper that was said in their ear and they're pursuing that dream but it doesn't mean that it creates a lot of friction amongst families Families, they're always comparing you. Oh, why can't you be like, look at Christopher. Christopher is a doctor. Why couldn't you be a doctor? Blah, 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 blah. Now there is a friction and there's a rupture between you and your cousin or your aunt because your parents are trying to motivate them. But this is like developing country motivation, which is different, which they will peg us one against the other and like Hunger Games kind of stuff. That doesn't work here anymore, right? So it's that struggle of, do I want kids? Do I not want kids? Do I want to go here? Why are you traveling by yourself? That's so dangerous. Right? <laughs> Girls want to go to Bali. That's why I went to college. So I can do these things, right? And for you to sit in a brunch on Sundays, knowing that you are eating a $19 avocado toast, when 90% of your family lives in poverty, that takes a toll on your heart. You being able to structure for yourself, when can I help? When is appropriate? When people ask you for things, they say, you have it. I know you have it because you, you you do this and you drive that car and you went on this trip. You have it. And creating that structure where you want to give and share, but you also have to invest in yourself and give yourself the rewards of the life that is so hard to build and then you're building every day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's interesting because um, I see like, again, I see uh, like parents, like uh, immigrant parents, and then they push their kids into like law, medicine, tech, and then their kids actually become successful. And then the parents resent them for it. And it's like, well, you, I'm living this life that you wanted me to live and now you're punishing me for it. And then all of a sudden it's like uh, the, all their peers that they grew up with, they're like, oh, you think you're better than us now. You're like, it's like, yeah. you can't win, right? <laughs> we cannot win. We cannot win, right? And, 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 and because these conversations are not had, like there's not a lot of awareness. One of the things that... I work on my research is on the immigration of trauma, right? So for example, I'm Dominican. So we have the Dominicans from the island, which I was a Dominican from the island because I was born and raised there. I went to my undergrad there. Uh, I fully speak you know, Spanish, all the things. But then I came here when I was 25 and I've been living here for as much time as I live there, even more because I used to come in summer camp. That's how I learned how to speak English. Uh, you know, with my accent that I still hold on to dearly after all these years. <laughs> and I have a joke with people. It's like, oh, you have a problem with my, you know, Spanish accent like I still have it? I said, let's, you know, let's let's switch to Italian. Do, do you speak Italian? Oh, you don't? Oh, I'm sorry. So I guess you're going to have to listen to my accent in English or we can switch to Spanish. You know, I'm just here accommodating you. I'm doing here the Lord's work, right? <laughs> Yeah. So we're looking at it from that perspective. But it's like you're a Dominican or you're, we call it Dominican York. So oh. to the Dominican Republic, to the island, back in the day, there was no internet, just like regular TV. And Dominican York or New York was every Dominican. You could live in Ohio and oh. you were a Dominican York. So it meant like you're a Dominican in the United States. You could have been in Spain. You're a Dominican York because you don't live here. So oh. the Dominican York is like, okay, you're not fully an American because you're a Dominican York, but you're now not a Dominican either. So to live in that limbo, right? I'm 50 years old. And people, and I, you know, I go to conferences and I present and I have friends and, and all of these things. And they'd be like, yeah, with the show Cheers, when whoever, whoever did this and he was dating. I don't know anything about Cheers. I was not here when Cheers was popping. 
There's half of the joke that people say that I'm like, mm, I, don't, I don't know who that is, right? So even within the circle that is your circle, there are so many instances where you still feel like you're missing things. Yeah. And when we're doing that work and that healing, the most important thing that we can do for ourselves is to affirm ourselves in our narrative, right? We have a lot of concerns of like, oh, I'm going to this school or to this boarding school, this prep school, and I'm a financial aid kid, right? You have this big burden, oh, you have your own scholarship, you don't have all the things. <laughs> like, you might be giving me this money, but I am giving you me. You are going to be part of the cornerstone of the legacy that I'm going to build. Mm-hmm. So it's an equal trade. I have things to teach you that you will never know other than my, my presence here. So it's like talking to the parents and the kids. I work with a lot of um, opportunity programs in the Northeast, uh, primarily in New York. So that's a program that was created by the state where um, non-traditional students are accepted into these top colleges, but they are accepted and they have a ridiculously high success rate. They're accepted with a college with a full tuition, boarding, food, tutoring, life coaching, uh, networking, mentors. I mean, the whole shebang. And, and their graduation rate is higher than the regular students that go in with potentially higher SATs and all of that. Mm-hmm. And when I have these uh, conversations and these workshops with the parents, you know, our immigrant parents don't know how to go into these spaces because they uh-huh. never did. They don't, know, they don't know what to wear. They don't know what to do. They always feel like, like they're on the side and they shouldn't ask, right? So then your kid gets into college and boom, they hit you with FERPA. Blah, 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 confidentiality thing that the school is not supposed to tell you anything. So parents automatically internalize that. Like the school doesn't want me there. There's not a place for me there. Mm. Meantime, the schools want you there, and there are ways to volunteer and to connect and to and to connect with families that are coming after you. And your presence is valuable, right? Mm. When you show up and these people know who you are, even if your child is 17, 18, 19, 20, the helicopter parents do it. <laughs> helicopter parents, the people that are paying for the kids to get in, they're all up in there. They're like all up in there. They like have a desk. So as parents, we have to find the space to bring value for our children and also show to the schools how they should accommodate to us. Right? I went to, um, oh, my girls have attended like different boarding schools and summer programs. I was delighted. They had so many Dominicans and Dominican Yorks and Hispanic people one year in Andover, which is a boarding school in Connecticut, in Massachusetts, where they made plantains. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, the glee and squeals <laughs> when you're in Andover, Massachusetts, and when you go to the kitchen in this incredible building that was built, God knows, in the 1800s, whatever, they have plantains, the sweet ones too. Oh my God, nobody could deal with me. I was like, right? Yeah. And it's like giving ourselves the permission to be who we are. Yeah. And by that, allowing or making people have to learn how to behave, holding them accountable. We talk a lot about like, oh, we have to advocate, advocate, advocate. No, I don't teach my clients in my workshops. In my Nobody's advocating. When you're advocating, it's because the deal was done and now you're begging. Right. I don't believe in advocating. I believe in positioning from the beginning. Yeah. From the beginning, we position. From the beginning, we strategize, try to connect, make our needs known, make it easy for people to help us. Yeah. I don't like to advocate. I like to position my clients. We're going to position ourselves. Now, so when promotion comes, you walk in with your Excel sheet of everything that you did, all your deliverables, and why and who is supporting this. 
not advocating down the line. But it is something that we don't know how to do because nobody taught us. Our parents didn't know how to do that. Mm. They're surviving dictatorships. They're surviving natural disasters, immigration, racism, oppression. I mean, I don't have fingers in my hand. <laughs> right? But what we can do for ourselves and our children are growing up is now coming to terms with the fact that the things that we need are skills that can be learned. Yeah. Right? We'll say, oh my God, Kay, I'm... I'm I'm so weak and I don't have a backbone and I don't know how to stand up for myself. That's all internalized and it's negative. It's me. It's my fault. I am permanently damaged. But when I turn it around with a conversation, I say, do you think that you were built to be strong? And they're like, huh? Do you think that you were raised to be strong by, by your family, by your school, by your neighborhood? Do you think you were built to be strong, internally strong? Emotionally regulated and centered. Do you think that you were provided with the communication skills to manage conflict? And if you didn't, that's okay. It's an acknowledgement, it's an awareness. And then we can decide, I don't have to go from zero to 100. I don't have to be so quick and so fast and be like, I'm going to put you straight, you know, and put you in your place. And now we're going to talk. But you can say, I have noticed that when I present in public, my hands sweat. I notice that it's uncomfortable. I notice that when people are socializing, I'm missing this skill or this thing. I don't know. And then you can give yourself the permission to say, this is a skill I'm going to upgrade. This is a skill I'm going to work on. Who knows? Who has it? Where do I learn it? Right? And that is a more loving conversation with yourself about the things that are missing and the things that you want to improve in yourself. Wonderful conversation, and I uh, would love to continue this and have you on in the future. How can people contact you and find out more about the work that you do? Um, so I have my website, uh, kdcimon.com, and in that website, I'm going to be uh, uploading a lot of different resources. I have the understanding that people will not be able to work with me directly, most of the people, because there are obstacles with it has to do with licensing and, and the level of need. What I want to do is create resources. That's one of the reasons why I am here on the podcast. And thank you so much for having me. It's because I want to provide our community with the skills to be able to find providers that are culturally competent and are going to do the work. Wow. Not everybody needs to be in therapy forever and all of that. You need to be with a provider that's teaching you skills, that is culturally competent, why did you do in there? Oh, you know, I was venting. No, go vent with your friend for free. You can vent with your friend for free. When you're with a provider, there has to be skills. There has to be progress. There has to be a treatment plan. Your goals are important, right? So in kdcmon.com, I'm going to be providing with resources and videos and links um, to podcasts that are very helpful when you're trying to build a life of wealth, of joy, of safety, which is what we're trying to do. And it's going to have links also so that you can be better and be kinder to yourself so that your brain is not hijacked with cortisol so you actually can think and make good decisions and, and speak to yourself the way that you speak to your good friends with kindness, with growth mindset, uh, and with seeing opportunity and finding connections. Yeah, awesome conversation and thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and you have a wonderful day. Thank you, everybody.